Hey guys, uh, welcome to the stream. And uh, you know, as for usual, I'm late AF. Um, but tonight I had a really good excuse, so let's just add this to my giant pile of excuses. Uh, a friend of mine had some server trouble, and I had to step in and uh, save that situation. It looks like things are going well, just fine. And then uh, had to get the guest set up. And we just realized that Microsoft Teams uh, desktop client takes an insane amount of uh, system resources. And uh, those system resources have uh, inhibited our ability uh, to actually do the stream until we got both quit out of Microsoft Teams. Because let's be honest, it's Microshaft or Micro Trash, however you guys want to say it. And uh, now uh, his camera is coming in nice and crispy and clean, and it is not choppy AF. So we decided to start, I don't know, gosh, 50 minutes late to give you guys a better streaming experience. So I apologize for that in advance, but at least like we can actually have a show now. That would be nice. So, so yeah. All right. Yeah, um, oh yeah, the second one's Chrome. Yeah, fair enough. So I'm going to be uh, introducing to you guys good INTJ friend of mine. Uh, he is a music enthusiast. He is an entrepreneur. And he is also the first person within the CSJ community to win a free coaching session prize. And that's where I first met him years ago. And uh, he's just become a very advanced version of himself. And in this is my opinion, in almost every single way. Uh, he's also heavily involved in the men's group and uh, been assisting as a leader in the men's group, which has been, quite frankly, fantastic. He also helps me a lot with tech support, especially when it comes to streaming and Macintosh-related things, because I am a brand new baby Mac user, and he has uh, decided to assist me in popping my cherry whenever necessary. So, uh, so without further ado, I'd like to introduce uh, Christian. Um, although it's saying he's in the green room right now, I don't know why he needs to like let himself not be in the green room anymore by not muting himself and the like. And uh, let's see, uh, let's let's do that one and then maybe this will work. Yes, there he is. Hello. And we can hear him. <laughs> yes, uh, right. camera angles. We're, I'm still getting used to this new technology, guys, but like this is, think of it also as a dry run to test out a new form of streaming that I'm gonna be doing. We're trying to do every Thursday, about 7.30 Eastern, a new format of show where I'm going to pick a topic and we're going to invite people from the paid membership community to actually join me on the stream exactly like this, etc. We could have multiple people as well on the stream. Uh, all tell me I'm wrong and you guys get to watch me be like Steven Crowder and just sit at a table with a mug saying, change my mind. So... Wouldn't that be awesome? And yes, even talking with famous people is invited to be on the channel to do that. Except, you know, he'd have to be willing to be a paid member to make that happen. But we all know that's never going to happen. So, But uh, also, uh, rumor has it, Kendrick Yui uh, will be joining me uh, next as my next guest. And we'll be discussing uh, methodologies uh, for typing people. 
his methodology versus my methodology. So that'll be really interesting discussion. I hope that he can definitely make it and uh, I, I think that'll be a lot of fun. So all the announcements uh, out of the way. Christian, I really wanted to ask you, like, since you started getting into Jungian analytical psychology, what has been the biggest defining factor of the science for yourself and your own personal development? And like, where, where are you going at it from there? So it's such a great tool, really. And that, that's what I see. It's such a great tool for just being able to help some, someone with their weaknesses and with their using their strengths to help better themselves and uh, myself, really. Uh, when it comes to my use of Jungian analytical psychology, it has really been um, quite, quite helpful uh, with me being able to network, especially um, as an uh, entrepreneur and uh, teacher, especially. Um, I see the. I see networking as just so unbelievably necessary, and. Do you? Sorry, my INFP cat is. All oh yeah, right the the audience wanted to uh, to type the cat, of course, you know, because that's what they do. <laughs> you know, they just they just type yeah. everything, you know, type type <laughs> the cat. They're probably opening up discover.csjoseph.life right now checking out the test and being like okay we got to put in christian's cat and we'll figure out yeah what the cat is yeah his infp cat who has what 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 obsession does she have looking what clorox bleach bleach what is it? she bleach. loves bleach i go and i <laughs> clean something and i can't get her away from it it's really just so much fun yeah exactly but, uh, how yeah. how 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 could, how did you come to get into the music industry or at least into music as an INTJ with X-ray sensing inferior? Did have did you have it forced on you by your parents? So, did you just kind of uh, jump in head first? Like how how does that even work? You know. So there's a few things. Um, I I had a very um, supportive mother um, in my uh, music stuff, especially um, when I was in. Um, middle school, I was doing orchestra choir, and then I got into high school, and I dropped orchestra because I wanted to be Mr. Smart and take the advanced sciences, because that's what I was about. I was all about, at that time, oh, I need to look smart. I need, so I need to take this advanced science, even though I didn't totally care for it. But me taking that really helped me get into a different form of thinking, I think. So what do you mean by look younger. smart? So <clears throat> looking, I think of it as looking smart because when it comes down to it, me being in that advanced science class one year early I'm not that smart. It's not really showing that I'm smart. It just was feeding my little FI child God complex at 12 of, oh, I'm so good. I, I got into this advanced science thing. That was 
that was my mindset at 12 so yeah but you you just you jumped right into music after that and for what reason what was what was the catalyst so really the catalyst was um my friends and my brother my brother was really into like guitar and stuff and my friend uh john was in shows and choir and i wanted to do that i was like that's so cool so i joined uh our ttbb choir so that's uh it was our men's choir they called it so um it it was such a great experience to have a whole bunch of guys and being able to sing together and we always had a student director and i looked up to our student director and i was like i was a freshman and i looked and i said i want to do that when i'm a senior i want to be student director i want to be a leader within this group was sort of how i looked at it when i when i was in ninth grade and from then on i sort of worked towards those skill attaining those skills attaining piano skills whether that be <clears throat> just from me sitting uh at a piano for hours no no formal training at the time and that that all really helped me just will myself towards a path in music and eventually i went off to college for music education um and since then i've been uh just loving teaching and really loving all of the attributes as a musician that you you really learn to develop through really challenging and deep study of ideas and concepts so how did you get over your extroverted sensing inferior when it came to singing and music and i mean especially singing because the sound is actually coming from within you it's not necessarily yeah. an instrument so you don't you can't just blame the instrument yeah. you know what i'm saying that, that's how, how do you deal with that, that i think about a lot i think about that a lot um i it's not something that just goes away for me it's still there at the beginning of the stream, I, I felt my S inferior start to, ah, I'm, I'm talking in front of people. And, but like when it, when it comes down to it, you just have to do it. Realize it's a means to an end. Sometimes performing, it's that experience that by doing it, you're going to get more comfortable with actually doing it. And you're going to love it, really. Because you're going to find connection through the story you're telling while singing let's say an art song or an aria from whatever or a song from a musical theater show you're really telling a story and connecting with the audience and by doing that you realize no one cares about how how if you crack on one note no one no one really cares it's about the story it's about the big picture stuff with the music so how quickly... it really is humbling yourself in a lot of ways fair enough but how quickly does it take for you to get 
the reaction from the audience that you're looking for as an SE user such that you allow yourself to be comfortable with what you're doing because you all of a sudden realize that they're comfortable. How long does that typically take? You know, I don't know. It's been so long since I've performed live because of COVID. So when it... You're performing live right now. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, a lot of it comes from deep preparation. Um, Like, there's this quote from my teacher's teacher that I want to share really quick. In order to be a teacher who is 90% effective, you must learn five ways of explaining a concept and five uh, and employ five exercises to help accomplish it. That's Alan Lundquist, uh, my teacher, David uh, L. Jones's teacher. He said that. Awesome. And that's your it's ESFJ so- teacher? Yeah, David L. Jones. He's my ESFJ yeah. teacher. Amazing. Yeah, he, 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 he does sound so pretty awesome. I remember typing him on that video. And I'm yeah. like, dang, you got yourself a bronze pair for this. And you're like, hell yeah, man, I'm all in. You know what I'm saying? Hell yeah. Yeah. So really becoming more and more comfortable with all of the parts of singing. That, because singing isn't just singing. It's not just about the experience of them. It uh, There's a... A clip from a master class. Are you talking like, um, are you talking about like the systematic side of singing? Yes, absolutely. So what systems do I have to be aware of, you know, when it comes to singing? Cause, and, and if you were talking to people who are interest-based, how would you explain that to somebody who's interest-based? <clears throat> so it, you can even look at it as different domains that you have to keep an eye out for when Uh, I'm going to come at this from teaching singing uh, perspective because that's what I do a lot. (laughs) Um, There's four main uh, general domains that I'm going to go into. There's uh, phonation, which is making the sound. So the sounds come from a vibration at the vocal cords down here. And this is larynx right here. Here's your tongue right here, all the muscles and glands right here. There's so much. Uh, my my teacher really uh, talks a lot about body mapping, and so body mapping helps you understand not only uh, phonatory things, how you're phonating, but also the residential things. So, do you have space in the back of your oral? You open that up. Do you feel that there's a stretch at the bottom of your larynx that you start to feel as you start to go uh, go up? Uh, it's called the laryngeal tilt. There's a nice little uh, rocking motion. You start to feel a stretch at the larynx. It, that that's the laryngeal uh, pharynx, and there's space oh, hey, there. Hey, wait, wait, wait a Only second. Two. Are you telling me oh. that you are tracking all of this simultaneously 
whenever you're doing singing or so, teaching somebody or anything like that? Are you keep teaching, literally have yes. all of that in your head? This, the, well, it, I'm not a T really user. You oh, really okay. start to hear a, a lot of different things all at, all at once. Because then there's breath. Breath support, breath engagement. There's two different muscles in the abdominals. Uh, there's the upper and lower abdominals, and there's an antagonistic uh, pull between these muscles that creates the breath support. You have to have open ribs. You really, it's all about posture. Posture's the other thing. So there's breath, posture, phonation resonance as the big four that you really start to look look at and those are the domains teaching yes the four okay. domains the four domains that you really so i i sort of look at so have you noticed uh when when you're teaching other people or even when you've been a student that you know when it comes to either receiving instruction or giving instruction how much does personality type impact that and then also, beyond that, so how does personality type also impact a person's ability to navigate themselves through the four domains? And can you give examples? <laughs> All right. This is a big question. Yes. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go one by one through this. All right. <laughs> and I will continue so... to eat steak while you do it. Not caring about yummy. eating on the audience. <laughs> While Railgun gives me food during the stream, I'm going to eat it, you know? Mm-hmm. Can't blame you. <laughs> so, um, there's a lot of different students that I've had. Um, I'm going to use just a couple of... Yeah, it doesn't have to be comprehensive. Just, yeah. yeah. Um, I taught an ESTJ who's in our men's group, uh, a while back um he had a very good awareness of his body probably because hashtag si si yeah yes i i myself and i have a couple of other uh what's it called very low nj's i have a couple very low si users and often it takes a lot more work to find those spaces and find the proper instruction in order to find the space in order to find proper engagement because we're not i'm not half the time i'm not aware of what's going on in my body so so much of my conscious effort is going into seeing oh it am i feeling this am i am i feeling the stretch here am i feeling the openness am i feel uh there's something that my other teacher and I worked on uh, called uh, yang yang. Uh, uh, it's just a yang yang exercise. You feel the rays of the molars here. The rays of the molars are so necessary, but you can't have the cheeks go too far up or else the larynx goes up. It's crazy what the body does. So really, it takes a lot of conscious observation of what my body's doing so that I, I can really figure that out. And I've seen this with uh, a couple of ENFJs that I've worked with. Um, uh, they're SI trickster that they're not totally sure what's up <laughs> with their body, but they're able to figure it out through their SE conscious attention to what they're doing. And it's really interesting, honestly. Um, 
posturally, um, it's so necessary for um, NJs especially to use a mirror. Use a mirror, look at what you're doing because you're going to find things. Uh, it's important for everyone to use a mirror, of course, but NJs especially, you're going to be able to see what you're doing. Just, it's a reflection. It helps. <laughs> Have you, you're, what, you're what about Templars? What about like, what about STPs or SFPs? With their SE um, parent and heroes. STPs, I think they often, the higher the SE, I've seen them have different different concerns with their um, singing. Especially, uh, I think that they have less problems with maybe phonatory things and more, more problems with maybe more advanced resonance and articulation. Articulation is sort of a domain, but not really. Um, I, don't, I don't consider it a domain. I consider it something that really interacts with all of the other domains, especially resonance and phonation. And um, I think I need more data on hi higher SE users. I've I've really taught a lot more NJs and uh, SDJs. Um, but where was I? Did, what am I missing? There's a couple other questions you asked. No, I think you, I think <laughs> I think I think you got it mostly that, in general. It's yeah. just that, like you know, when you look at SE users, they like to, um, yeah. in general, mirror with the Templars yeah. mirroring more than Wayfarer types. But then with the NE users, the SI users, they tend to mimic. And so I've noticed, like <clears throat> for example you're able to mirror your ESFJ teacher, but at the same time, he had to learn how to mimic. And what are some of the challenges that could come, you know, as a result, you know, with, with that so, difference? When it, I'm going to come at this from a little different angle. Sure. So this is a common thing that happens in voice teaching where students will come to you and they will have had incompatible instruction with them. Um, I'm saying it like that because some their instruction works on some students, but it doesn't on others. And <clears throat> that, that has been the experience with me with certain teachers. I have a lot of tongue tension because of some of the teachings of a previous teacher. Um, but it's also a matter of like, you're going to pick up on, like when you're trying to learn, you're going to pick up on the vocal models that you're around. If you have, <clears throat> if you are around singers constantly your whole family singers everyone's trained you're naturally going to have an easier time going about it because you're surrounded by a nice more open oval sound in the back you're surrounded by less tension here so you're not taking on that tension yourself you're so in a lot of ways environment 
really has a lot to do with teaching and what issues will come up because like I often go into vocal fry and I, I, I catch myself all the time, for example, and that has to do a lot with the people who I'm around constantly. And so vocal models are a big thing. Um, so a lot of popular music, you might see some not great technique that people often model. So that can also hinder someone's uh, vocal growth sometimes. Like they might be singing pop and know exactly what they're doing. And all of a sudden they're off their, they, they raise their larynx and they got a whole bunch of tension here. And they're wondering, why can't I hit that higher note? Oh, it's because you're, you have a bunch of tension here because you're singing, trying to be that other person rather than letting your own voice come out through so really so, hard technical work. So what, what if that means like mm -hmm. you, your bass or tenor or any of these different types, you know, different types of singers, like how does that go into play? And have you also noticed a correlation between certain types and certain singing types? Is that, is there a correlation um, there? I've I always wondered. Not, I have not noticed that yet. I don't think I have enough data for that. Fair um, enough. But really, oh my gosh, Piper, sorry. Uh, it must be the bleach. It, it must, actually, she keeps going to her treats, so I'm just going to give her some treats. Yep. So just, the, the audience just, wants to have a, a greeting from your cat, Piper. Piper the cat. <laughs> Alright. Back to the question. So <clears throat> vocal types really have a big influence on how a student needs to be trained. Like teaching a tenor such as myself, um, to use vocal fry too much is going to thicken the chords uh way too much and in wow. your lower range and it's going to influence your higher range in a negative way and you're going to have to work to strengthen other muscles so that these muscles aren't tying like grabbing you and tying you down from being able to get the higher testatura that is more natural for you and it it really has a lot uh my uh my teacher david jones has so many great articles on uh, training different types of voices and what what it really comes down to is careful identification of a student's voice and not rushing into it don't rush to classify someone's voice in a lot of ways it's similar to typing don't rush to type someone because get as much data as you can Really, there's I mean, a lot of, or I like I telling people to their, well, sure, but I also like telling people their face, what type they are, and I'll just randomly pick one of the sixteen to get them to defend mm -hmm. their position on their type, and then the truth comes out because otherwise they're just wearing a mask or trying to pretend or some or trying to bullshit <laughs> yeah. me in some capacity, and it's like, 
and I'll just randomly say, oh, you're an ENFJ, even though they're an ISFP and it's completely off. It's, it's as off yeah. as you can get, and they're just like, well, you know, and <laughs> it's kind of like, well, I mean, by putting you it's on the defensive, tactic. all of a sudden they defend themselves, and the truth finally comes out. It's it's so weird how human beings are with their little sensitive ego investments. Do do you ever have yeah. to deal with that? Like <laughs> with like like if you had you know someone of X Y Z type, huh? Go ahead. I haven't personally had to deal with that, but it's very common. Uh, <clears throat> I think I think uh, someone once described it as very temperamental or strong personality singers who have their own. They have a lot of ego investments, and you have to be careful when you're teaching them to make sure that you're helping them overcome those ego investments and also balancing that with the vocal health of that student because that's really what's so important is vocal health because if you're not teaching someone how to sing healthily then i don't know i i have issues i don't i really don't think that that's the the way that's going to work longevity wise for someone's voice well well okay <clears throat> if, if we understand experted sensors as people who really benefit a lot or benefit the most from consistent practice do the si users benefit more from the consistent practice or do they or do you find you know they're more prone to injury or wearing themselves out in some capacity like well, where's What's the line? Consistent practice is just really necessary in <clears throat> motor skill acquisition in general. Um, this is talked about a lot in uh, the book Range. Uh, that I I've been reading it. Uh, one of our fellow men in the group suggested I have it in my wish list book. ever since you it's suggested so it to me. I haven't gotten it's to it yet. I'm reading Traction right now. Oh, very good book. Um, if you say so. Mo I haven't read it yet. <laughs> so motor skill acquisition is very much so about the repetition of physical skills over and over again. Think about in sports. You you want them you want the quarterback to be able to throw the ball in the same way a million times without hurting themselves. And that takes practice consistently. Now, then there's conceptual information, and that is really acquired through Socratic method and difficult um, challenges and overcoming them within themselves, being able to figure it out. Um, that They use math as an example of how long what the real thing the real big thing is finding ways to find universal tenants within different settings different conceptual settings is the big thing with conceptual learning and <clears throat> avoiding procedural getting too procedural which is 
in order to solve this, you plug these numbers into y equals mx plus b, or whatever. That, that's a procedure, whereas using it in different contexts through Socratic questioning is really so useful for longevity of learning, residue, as many people call it. Now, <clears throat> I think that singing is a lot of both, and music is a lot of both of these things. And it's really about balancing motor skill development through <clears throat> consistent practice and consistent healthy practice. So don't be practicing yourself to death with bad technique. It's deliberate. You have to be very deliberate with motor skill training. Conceptually, it's about challenging your mind. It's about being wrong four times. And so a lot of singing is a lot of both. And so it takes a lot of time to really wrap your head around things. There's a concept that my teacher has been working on with me called inhalare la voce, which is, <clears throat> it's useful for helping uh, you to have less uh, breath pressure. And you really need to inhale the voice, essentially. It's the spin on the inside. You don't want to feel any air come from your mouth when you're singing. It's a spin with you. And that creates healthy singing and vibrato. And there's so much to singing, really. And so conceptually and motor skill-wise, it takes a lot of balancing. And uh, to go to, on to something completely different real quick, if that's okay. Um, go for it. <clears throat> there's a lot of... There's a lot of, on the note of universals, there's a lot of ways that you can use singing as a nice little metaphor for a lot of things in life. There's balancing registration. being So there's different registers in the voice. There's passaggios, uh, passaggi, which are passages where you need to work on different muscles. There's muscles that, that work different parts of your voice. And so, really, it's about balancing all the things. And in a lot of what all, all of the different registers so that you get mixed resonance, you get, you're able to control your voice in such a great way. And you only, it requires vocal protection. That means having small voice, essentially, you want it to be contained. It's contained. Is that easy I, for you, I, though, since you being an INTJ, is that easier for you compared to other people? I don't know. Um, well, like, I feel like, like it, what types of the people that you've noticed, like, that you've worked with or studied with or worked under that just come off as, like, they're complete and total natural to sit singing? I think that STPs are often very natural at singing. Um really yeah um for for me it's always been philosopher types i've noticed for me i've always noticed enfps and istjs really dominate just that natural talent even when they don't even have very much training whatsoever and i wonder if that's uh has to do with just the stj's systematic approach with their functions 
I, I've always Quite wanted possibly. to know about how that is. Often it really has a lot to do with compatibility with yourself and your teacher and whether the teacher knows what they're doing. Because, <clears throat> so, there's the, so, so much of what I've been talking about is what's known as vocal pedagogy. It's the art and science of teaching voice. And not, not every teacher is very well, um, what's the word? They're not well educated on the topic often. Not every teacher knows all the millions of different aspects of the voice. Not every teacher has those five ways of explaining that concept in five ways of uh, five different exercises to be that 90% effective teacher. Right. And so a lot of the time, it's a matter of finding the right teacher. Right. That That's the big thing. It Are you going to have breakthroughs here and there? Yes. It takes time. Because singing is a conceptual and a motor skill, conceptual thing, because it's so much, you, you can't see your instrument. It, you're understanding conceptually what's going on over time. It takes a lot of time and a lot of experimentation, but it's also a motor skill development. And so being able to really find that balance over time is what create creates strong and healthy singers and when it comes to balancing registration again i'm just going to go back to this um i view it as very similar to um balancing the four sides of the mind you over time you're strengthening different quote-unquote muscles. Like me going out and performing, that's strengthening my subconscious muscles. Wait, 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 wait a second. So you're telling me that there's a different voice for each of the four sides of the mind, basically. That, that's what I got from that. No. That's fascinating no, no. if that's true. No. I mean, you could almost no. argue that because you can remember my little demon voice that I do in season 16, <laughs> right? Or how Heath Ledger, as an actor, would change his voice, you know, to take on the <laughs> moniker of the Joker. You know, maybe there is something to that. Maybe. Maybe maybe it's just a matter of how people express themselves in different parts of their mind. They, they're going to express themselves in different ways. How, uh, but what you're really getting is each part of the mind, just as it's a farm that you work on throughout your life and you work on tilling the land and getting all the knowledge so you can eventually have all four plots of land uh, being worked on. It's very similar to singing, balance, getting the muscles right, getting the resonance right, opening yourself up, challenging beliefs within yourself, which may be blocking you because singing is very psychological as well. And so 
you challenge beliefs psychologically when singing as well as just when improving yourself towards whether it be subconscious growth, unconscious growth, and eventually superego growth. Because <clears throat> me working towards singing is working on my subconscious development. Every time I sing, it's those quote-unquote metaphorical subconscious muscles being flexed. Go, I mean, going to the gym is literally flexing subconscious muscles, basically. But um, Yeah, I'd say so. It's that way for me. It's like it's always about how I can endure the pain more and how I'm able to do more yeah. and push harder. But it's always from a yeah. perspective of endurance. It's not really a perspective of performance. Oh, hey, look at me. I just deadlifted 225 pounds or something. You know, it's not it's not about yeah. that. Uh, for me, it's a lot of per at the gym. It's a lot of performance for myself. And am I pushing myself? Am I am I doing things with the proper form? Uh, push up form is a big thing. Get the right push up form, and it's great. Don't got good push up form, you're gonna hurt yourself. Um, yeah. So performance is a muscle just as and so is every gateway function in a lot of ways metaphorically speaking my my any nemesis making it my ally that's a muscle so engage no go ahead I, it's just yeah. that i got i got i got some questions from the audience that have collected oh. for you so uh, you want to go through those now or you want to keep going? Um, we can go through those now. Okay. So uh, uh, Isaiah uh, Benjamin says, SI users don't need talent. If you're a beginner at everything, you can learn anything. Do you agree with that in the context of singing? I really don't necessarily... Um... Uh, can you can you say that question again? So SI see, users don't need talent. I, SI users question? don't need talent. If you're a beginner at everything, you can learn anything. Basically, saying that you know SI I users mean, are just walking around beginners. They don't need talent, etc. But do you agree with that in the context of singing? In the context, singing is just an extension of speaking. So no one's really a beginner, quote unquote. But in terms of specific schools of, because there's so many different schools of uh, learning voice. But um, like I, I'm a student of the Swedish Italian school, for example. But when it comes down to it, no matter like what type you are, like my my ESFJ um, teacher, he had a lot of troubles uh, as he was improving because his it has a lot to do with who the teacher is and what they're being taught. <clears throat> and when it comes to SE users, I don't think it's any different. I really think that, well, 
talent it is that's some people have great pairs of chords my one of my former teacher put a lot of people have great pairs of chords but not everyone is going to um, have the talent quote unquote and and it's that's not, like is that like genetic or I don't mental? think it's type one. I think it's a it has a lot to do with ba a balance between nature and nurture, really, because, not, like I said, singing's a lot to do with the vocal models that you grow grow up around. And if if you got a if you're growing up around just like Idina Menzel when she was blowing out her vocal cords and getting notes, and that was your vocal model, you're going to hurt yourself, for example. Well, right, but like, okay, so let's look yeah. at two different ENPs, okay, mm -hmm. from a singing standpoint. You got Chester oh, yeah. Bennington, and he's an ENFP, and you have Kanye West, and he's an ENTP. Uh, both of them are capable of rap, but Chester Bennington just has, a, let's just be honest, a much better voice than Kanye West in like every single way. Uh, but they're probably just as equally famous. And I guess singing might technically be in the eye of the beholder then. And I mean, I mean, sometimes I, I see rappers like Kanye West who are like, okay, maybe you're just looking like you're singing, but not actually doing any singing, you know, which, which kind of gets me that to have that perspective. And don't you think the colloquial definition of singing is so different person to person that it's almost like anyone could get away from it? Or is there really an actual true standard with which we can judge talent properly, you know, uh, you know as a result? I mean, it. The, I really think that singing is very, singing is definitely a subjective field absolutely there's different types of singing all around the world different cultures have different uh ways of singing uh and like one of the big things it healthy singing comes from laughter is another uh expression that my my teacher talks about so help one one way of looking at it is health are they singing healthily another way of looking at it is are they expressing the mood of the piece or the song in whatever way how are that does the way that they're singing address that like uh the song sophie by the all together is a good example of this uh it's using less healthy "Quote unquote technique." They're off the. They have a higher larynx position, but it's for the timbre of the piece. Because really, what it comes down to is singing is very subjective, and it there's a lot of different qualities. I think that thinking critically about the music and thinking critically about the whole the whole picture is what's going to help you yourself on you whoever whoever i'm talking to i don't know who i'm talking to. Uh, uh you to um 
really find that uh oh my gosh i got distracted bye it's all good but piper the cat man i mean she's just all over the place She's probably like rubbing herself against you right now with like, love me, want me, pet me, touch me. You're telling me about it. Oh my gosh. But, uh, yeah. I don't know where I was going with that. Well, let me, let me, okay. I, I remember. So, so really it's a matter of being able to research the different aspects of singing, researching and understanding the context of the singing. And then you can make your judgments based on all of that. Um, Vitskortsky has three different, uh, three, three, three different domains uh, wh where, where we really, uh, in teaching, that we really use, we use the technical, the logical stu stuff. I forget what they're actually called. Logical, so it's all the, the things, what, what is actually happening. So it's understanding, oh, they have a high larynx here and uh, they're using these dynamics in this phrase and blah, blah, blah. It's all those things. And then there's the judicial, which is all about the value judgments. It's all about the, okay, now, was that good, bad? Was that good or bad? Was that fitting to the context? And then lastly, you really have, what was that? What's the last domain? Well, we're going to go over the two domains instead. You go and make the decisions, and then there's one last domain that I forget because my brain is not working right now. Eh, it's all good, man. Like, my, my thing is, though, is that, like, I've been criticized my whole life by my father and by my mother for being tone deaf. And I've always had the attitude of, I'm just not properly trained. And then they, it's like they're Absolutely. just criticizing me for... What they're really criticizing me for is lack of instruction. But then at the same time, they're informatively complaining about me not having any natural talent that just came by default from their powerful loins, apparently. Yes. Which is ridiculous that, to me. That that's a really good perspective um, to explain. That is absolutely true. A lot of people have the opinion that they're tone deaf when they're not. So that's a myth. It's a it's a tone deaf myth then. Well, tone deafness is a thing, but most of the time it's Hype. it's a lot of parents. It's a it's a lot of parents and people that just they're complaining. They're complaining exactly because you're you don't have the proper instruction and because it doesn't come naturally to you, it it inconveniences them in some way experientially. And <laughs> I'm very good at inconveniencing people with my SC demon, trust me. <laughs> and I do not it's often stupid. like being inconvenienced myself. My hypocrisy, right? From being an ENP. But it, it's so 
frustrating because it it really causes a lot of psychological blocks in singing because people end up not believing that they can sing. There, uh, my, my friend Aiden, he's the NTJ, great example of someone who just could not hear and could not sing for the life of him. He could only sing two notes. And guess what? He ended up becoming my co-director of that choir that I was telling you about in my senior year because he worked at it. It's a matter of working towards that goal. It's He was able to... He, he had leads. He was singing all the time. He still sings. He, he's actually... Uh, as soon as... In the next week or two, he's going to be starting lessons with me. So it's very exciting to see someone who I know had such a rough start. And many people would say, oh, he's tone deaf. Oh, he just can't sing. But to see him be able to really sing and sing amazingly is just, it's just amazing from what my about, perspective, at least. What about substances i'm a much better singer when i'm drunk of course most people would probably claim that uh, but so some people substances are interesting yeah because um, we know we know downers put you in your shadow and uppers put you in your subconscious so when i'm stemmed and high on caffeine i'm like super isfj behind the scenes i don't even talk to anybody it's kind of weird it's like i'm i have so much energy inside of me and it's about to burst but i have it all under control for some reason that i can't even explain or i go full like i'm a drunken intj strategic all of a sudden i have musical talent and i can actually nail a few songs pretty well at karaoke so like how, how does that work and how do you deal with substances among the students or people in your group at the same time um people i mean this is my perspective i'm not going to be able to manage people's personal choices but when it comes down to it um it's just i just hope i i, I don't know the exact context by which you're necessarily having me consider, but really, um, it's a matter of that. Just if you're drinking, drink water too, so you don't hurt yourself. Be responsible. Well, my thing is, is if like I, if you're smoking, drink water. Don't use too much because these things are gonna screw with you. I something I've noticed like um I used to go to a brewery called the Koto Brewery uh, often and they'd have live music there all the time and there was this ISFP singer who knew the owner and he'd always do live music there and he'd have his band there and whatnot but he I listened to him talk about how he's able to sing so well and he's like you know I'm not really emotional enough. This is an FI hero talking. I'm not really emotional enough for some of these songs. So in order for me to get in the mood, I got to be half wasted first. And he literally downs like two to three beers just to get going. And then like, 
he's like, oh, I just turn into this other person, you know, and I get so emotional, and it's like I really, really care about the piece, even though I didn't five minutes ago, and now he does care about the piece after um, a bunch of shots in rapid succession. Um, so, I, have you have you seen anything like that, you know, from... Um... Not not totally. Um, I haven't really had a lot of experience with uh, super wasted people singing. You're making um, me want to experiment on your people. You know, <laughs> you're like, hey. Well, I, I'm sorry, I, I haven't gone to a bar karaoke night yet. Uh, you really what, should. What? That would be awesome. Yeah. That should be. I you got should... one more. You should take one of your girls with you, or actually make one of your girls take you to there and then surprise her with drunken Christian karaoke night, preferably <laughs> over sushi of some kind. <laughs> Maybe in October once I am able to actually order a drink. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, yeah, fair enough, in October. All right. Yeah. That's okay. I recommend a Blackbeard's Revenge as your first drink, by the way. Okay. Yep. My it's, first legal drink. Yes. Uh, root beer, butterscotch schnapps, and uh, spiced rum. It's excellent. Good to know. Yep. The Blackbeard's Revenge. And it's really only mm -hmm. made in one place in the world, and that's in, uh, or was made in one place in the world before it closed down, and that was in Everett, Washington at the AFK Tavern, which no longer exists. Bad. Because COVID killed it. So. COVID killed a lot of businesses. Yeah, it did kill a lot of businesses. <sighs> or really the hysteria killed a lot of businesses, one of the two. Something. So. What, yeah. What is the problem, Piper? Sorry. The cat is just demanding your passion and desire. Want me now. I think she wants me to play ball with her. She just hit a ball over the yeah, so we got oh the ball, my good times. So we got people in the audience who are surprised by your age. Honestly, I'm not surprised by Christian's age at all because something I've noticed about INTJs is that they're not late bloomers. They're the complete opposite. They bloom fast and rapidly, probably faster than all of the 16 types, at least in my own personal experience in dealing with all of the 16 types. INTJs just they grow rapidly and quickly provided they want to and if they want to they're going to outpace everyone else it's kind of like the tortoise and the hare they're just going to be like super quick hare it's just keeping them focused on actually getting to the end point sometimes yeah. or getting them to the starting line oh one of the two gosh, don't get me started <laughs> yeah exactly so where do you see your music career taking taking you you know um so so I, uh i'm a teacher first and foremost uh i'll be student teaching uh at a local school soon which is going to be such a great experience for me just professionally and i'm also going to be entrepreneurially uh teaching private lessons uh primarily in piano voice especially voice uh, voice in my primary. I, I can teach some piano and I've been teaching music theory to a lot of people as well. Um, 
So primarily a teacher then. And are you going to be teaching? Are you um, going to be in like I'm a also... choir of some kind? Great, like perhaps an album one day. You know, we're going to get some Potent... Christian badassery. Potentially in the future. Um, I, I have some ideas in the uh, in the air uh, regarding my performance elements of me, but uh, that that's going to take a few years of uh, hard practice and dedication to technical improvement. Because uh, may, maybe maybe you'll see me uh, in some opera one day. Maybe you'll see me. Uh, I didn't do, know you could sing opera. Like Wow. You know, that, the audience really is the demanding the audience is demanding <laughs> that you do a demonstration. More demonstration and less explication. <laughs> you had you had to have expected that uh I would do that to you live, you know. Yeah, and then me... to quote Titus, we'd have to be like, F it we'll do it live, right? You know? Let me grab my speaker. Alright. Oh, I'm sorry, Piper. I must alas. Yeah, his poor his poor cat has been abandoned. Or unwanted. The unwanted cat. She's gonna attack me. This this shirt gonna be even more gray than it already is. Alright, well hey, it looks like looks like we're uh looks like we're getting a, a show here, folks, so uh, the audience is uh, getting very happy all of a sudden. Oh, and they ask if you have Spotify. Bobby the Kid twenty one no, asks. I don't have anything at the moment. I I, I think Maybe you should. In the future. Yeah. Maybe in the future. Yep. Let me pull this up. Cats like singing. Let the kitty sing too. Oh my god. She she likes to lay down and watch me sing. All right. <laughs> That's a good cat. <clears throat> this is a I nice. Not warmed up, so. That's okay. We'll, we we'll we. See how this goes. The more embarrassing, the better the show. <laughs> I I am down. I am down. Let's do it. Oh. Mina Wife says, give me Veil Decem, bro. <laughs> so I'll be singing Nel Corpio No Mi Sento. It's a it's awesome. Aria. All right, I'm, I'm in. I am in. Oh, <laughs> 
Well done, sir. Very well done. Uh, you know, I've I've always heard from what I would call stupid people from the INTJ forums about how INTJs can't sing. They're probably talking about mistyped ENTPs or ENFPs or something. Uh, that's that's probably what it is. But a lot of well, people. I I couldn't sing for a while. I yeah had really bad fun phonatory issues and if you don't have the right teacher you're not going to improve and you're just going to bang your head against the wall a million times and as INTJs I think we're very willing to bang our head against the wall but if uh, or, or go around the wall or sidestep the wall <laughs> yeah and then and then you just the find wall ends up new walls falling on you yeah, yeah. Wall ends up falling on you from behind. You get, and then you run to a new wall. It's just horrible. But it's a matter of really, you can find a way to. All right, come here. Say hi to the people. Yes, we have a cat greeting, folks. Piper the cat. Um, with her, um, you know, bleach habits. You know, she's got her own little little habit. Yep. She's like, oh, I'm finally wanted. Finally. Yep. That's how it goes. Oh, got to wag that tail. I'm pissed because I'm not getting all the attention right now. Yep. Got to hit me straight in the face. Yep. All right. Well, thank you for having me on, Chase. Yeah, I man. It's been fantastic. I... I really uh, never considered the value of discussing music theory, but from a psychological perspective, it's uh, I've always just believed that bullshit myth that it's all about natural talent and genetics or whatever, and not, not you know, not learned behavior. Now you're telling me it's all learned behavior, really? It's practically all learned behavior. You're going to have people that have it easier for sure but those people are not going to be able to disseminate that information necessarily as well if you run into no obstacles how are you supposed to help people overcome obstacles that's fair so, Oh, I mean, wouldn't you say that's one of the tall tale signs of a good INTJ teacher? Because when I talk to INJs about 
them being in leadership positions or teaching thereof i'm always telling them hey you got to lead with your failures not lead with uh, your successes because there's not really much value in your success oh you're a success congratulations you and that's really where it all goes but leading with your failures and people are like oh dang you know it allows them to improve themselves better and then you know inj's love improving systems or improving people but no improving will take place without that humility required to lead with your failures you know absolutely uh it it's so astounding to just think about just how fortunate I am that I have failed so many times. Preach it, bro. Uh, <laughs> what's it called? Like our like uh, our women's group, right? You know how it's failed five times, and let's hope they'll get there. I I do let's hope go. I do hope they'll get there. That's that's for sure. Um, me and Karen often have a lot of debates. <laughs> on a consistent <laughs> basis but it also keeps me sharp you know so yeah. it, it's funny I, I linked her a fresh and fit podcast uh, clip last night and she responds back I totally reject this and I'm like well what about this and what about this and what about this and what about this <laughs> regardless it was uh, her and I have a lot of fun with our uh, discussions and helps keep us sharp, you know, from a TI parent to TI parent camaraderie standpoint, mm -hmm. right? And um, I don't know, like, I I just wish people would just understand that there's a lot of bullshit out there myth-wise. I've always, you know, personally wanted to sing and get to know music and actually produce music myself for even my own ESFP super ego side of the mind it really wants to and it really wants to be harsh when it does it but at the same time like it it often doesn't really have the opportunity to do it and i like i remember a time in my life where i was in a music class as a real youngster as maybe like a seven-year-old eight-year-old i was in second grade and when this happened in second grade, uh, I actually got to the point where I could almost read music. It was coming to me. It was starting to actually happen. And mm -hmm. I was actually able to start playing an instrument a little bit and then start to doing a lot of singing. But I never received any other instruction in my life. And that took me about six months to... Um, um, to get to that point and then it was gone and I never went back to that and I've lost that ever since and it's just like goes to show how you know schools are from the education system have completely and utterly failed a lot of students in a lot of ways it's, because they don't care about things like music compared to other things you know it's it's really frustrating to like see a lot of students just not have their voices feel heard in the classroom and not be able to engage in the ways that they might be longing to. Like, there's a there's a story, Vigente, something like that, that I read a while back. And it, it talked about this one girl who was 
so into like golden age classics and the teacher totally ignored this girl's expertise and guess what the girl no longer cared about the golden age classics after a few years because their experiences were not used that this girl was like a brilliant so well researched on the topic but the teacher didn't use her students assets so with your students so with your students because you have a, a music teaching practice and uh, you are taking on students and teaching mm -hmm. uh, people music and it could be people your own age it's been people older than you it also has been very very small children what kind of assets are you able to identify with them even when it comes to type basically yeah. with all the hang-ups and all the assets that could be there you know like what's absolutely um so th this sort of goes into a cons another form of pedagogy which is used a lot music uh it's culturally responsive pedagogy it's by gloria ladson billings and there's three main pillars to it the first is students must experience be able to experience academic success the students need to be able to actually succeed in their class the second is students must be able to develop and or maintain cultural competence within their own culture as well as another so it's a matter of students are able to now identify what their cultural assets are. That's a matter of you as a teacher, like let's say I'm, an, I'm a teacher, I'm engaging with a fifth grader. This fifth grader knows so, so much about golden age classics. All of a sudden, guess what? I got a, a th two to three week unit going over some of the golden age classics. Uh, this student gets to sing for the class, gets to talk about them with the class, gets to show their passion. And I'm not saying you have to do this with every single student's interests, but being able to engage with... Piper, what are you doing? Sorry. Uh... <sighs> being able to engage with your own culture in a deep way and then engaging with other student cultures, whether that be an actual like ethnic culture, whether it be the culture of people who love to play video games. Video gaming is a culture in itself. Um, people who love, I don't know, it's almost like uh, Morgan Freeman says, he says, there is no such thing as racism, you know, and and I think like being able to teach people things like music and be able to experience different cultures through music is what really helps bridge that cultural divide between people and prevent. And Absolutely. I would I would think it would present a, a high amount of or sense of brotherhood or togetherness. Not to sound all affiliated about it, but absolutely, uh, it what comes with CRP 
uh, culture responsive pedagogy is a lot of, well, the third pillar, let me just say that really quick, is about students developing critical consciousness where they can, they may have the ability to challenge the status quo, where they have such competence over their own culture and another culture that they're able to really understand where where their culture stands and how it really interacts with other cultures. And what it really comes down to is students are going to find great success through connection with their fellow peers, through deep critical thought in their musical understandings. One of the big things about um, uh, that third pillar is where do you stand nature and nurture-wise in this world? Understanding that. Also, understanding how our music does not exist in a vacuum. Understanding the context behind music, understanding the cultures of the people who write music, understanding just everything on a much more critical level where we question everything. Uh, being able to think that critically is one of my goals as a teacher is to really help students think as critically as possible about not only singing, but also about the music that they're that they're performing, the music that they're listening to, and understanding the whole context surrounding things. It's almost like putting the, the students on a journey towards understanding perspective and, and really understanding critically other people's cultures as well as their own. Uh, there's a uh, martial arts style I really enjoy called capoeira, and mm -hmm. as part of learning, you know, some of the takedowns or any of the moves that they do, they teach the music and the dance first. So you have to, you end up picking up an instrument from like art, an Argentinian instrument, and you're learning how to play music, and you're like, I don't know what to do, and then you, and then they let you learn the dance, and it becomes a dance, mm -hmm. and then it turns into a fight over time. It's a very fantastic way to invite you know some socially allowed cultural appropriation you know you know as compared See, to socially allowed gender appropriation but that's another discussion uh but the thing is it's not necessarily cultural appropriation if it's taught in true. a way where it's really speaking to the culture that it comes from like one of the big things in choir that we talk about a lot is, are we learning this music in the same way that the people who wrote this music may have learned it? Or are we bringing it into the Western sphere of notation? How are, we, how are the students learning it? And how much of what, like, are they engaging with it critically? It's there's so much to it, really. Um, I don't think we have enough time for 
uh, really in-depth conversation about all that. Maybe we'll have you on again to discuss uh, <laughs> like that. But I guess my main point I was trying to lead up to is that I believe that teaching music, especially music from other cultures, is necessary to build up mutual respect for other cultures. Instead of, Absolutely. And I also maintain that the world system in its current form, especially when considering Western society, I think Western society is um, becoming this open society that is almost too open because it's as if you're not allowed to have a different culture than the Western society culture itself. Whereas if you compare that to Eastern society, uh, if you're not a part of the regular culture, I mean, you're a gaijin, you're a foreigner, you're not you're not really a part of this. And it's kind of like a form of nationalism to a point. Mm -hmm. And then you have the Middle Eastern theocratic approach with their religious beliefs as well. The point is, it doesn't matter where you go in the world, it's going to be screwed up regardless. But how yeah. can we use music and potentially music with this form of psychology when, as you were discussing with me earlier... The oligarchy of the guardians <laughs> versus the anarchy of the artisans and the capitalist or totalitarian or autocratic nature of the NTs like you and me yes. uh, and the communistic tendencies of the NFs. How can music, I don't want to say unite those bonds, but at least promote general understanding between all those temperaments from which we're able to derive our entire political worldview, regardless of where we are on the planet. You know, I I, I really love the uh, live stream that that comes from, uh, that those concepts that you discussed. Um, when it really comes down to it, music throughout history has been like throughout many cultures history has been such a strong social like it it's so uh so social activity it's such uh, a strong social, social activity. a social construct that permeates every aspect of the society itself like one of the big things is folk songs mm. we we often talk about folk music a lot and folk music is the music of the people of a country like we have american folk tunes basically pop music is folk music even that's that's a little that's a little weird to think about that it is years... it is very weird to think about i'm kind of just yeah. like dang and you look, can say that look, pretty easily for rap but you know but then of course eminem destroyed that moniker so you know Years down the line, our current popular music is going to be looked at as the folk music of the time. It reflects mm -hmm. the politics of the time. It reflects the simple unrests of the time. Um, there's like uh, like uh, Kesha reflecting the open hypergamy of women in the time. Just, I just had to go there. <laughs> <laughs> and. What's, or or, or that song by the Pussycat Dolls called React. Nah, that's a good one. 
That's an INTJ just trying to get her INTP to react to her in that song. <laughs> just had to add that in there's there, a... folks. <laughs> there's a there's a lot of music, especially uh, Cuba, Cuban music, um, Haitian music, um, lots of music from uh, Latin countries and uh, just areas in the uh, Caribbean general, generally. Um, they have a lot of very patriotic music that and that has been used not only to unite them but also to challenge status quos and so music really when it comes down to it it reflects the context of the time and so we can really use it as a force for good given the people that are making the music understand every all, all those aspects yeah. my opinion on it no it's a it, it's it's a good opinion it's just that the thing is though is that like don't you think at least in western society there's this huge cultural bias especially since most of western society is sj oligarchy and that is basically you know as you were pointing out you were talking about um you know survival of the fittest or the mm -hmm. safety net and how yes. affiliative types affiliative types go out of the way to create a safety net against nature for the people who are unfit right yes. so you have nfs who do this communistically right and uh they have communism where they tell everyone oh you're responsible for everyone else which breaks the whole, like Jesus said, everyone thinks Jesus is a hippie or a communist. It's not true because he said, love your neighbor as yourself, which implies that you have to love yourself first before you can love your neighbor, which is completely against uh, Karl Marx's uh, love your neighbor or you are your brother's keeper type teaching, right? It's completely against that. But it's not survival of the fittest. It allows the unfit to exist. You're responsible to take care of the unfit, which is Karl Marx's approach. Yeah. Versus you have the polar opposite of that, which is the SPs. And the SPs are like, okay, every man for themselves, literally. And, that's, yeah. and it's an anarchical, high survival of the fittest, pragmatic society. And then when you have the autocracy of NTs, they also are about survival of the fittest. Because it's like, hey, I'm the smartest guy around. I'm the strongest one around. You have to serve me. Get over it. That's just reality. You know, that's the NT approach. But the SJs do it in a very subtle way. And this is where it comes directly into, like, teaching music because it seems like this SJ society really downgrades the value of teaching music and teaching singing and really making it a strong cultural norm uh, in, in a lot of ways. Because from their point of view, like, it's survival of the fittest, right? No, because if you're in the old boys club, regardless if you're fit or not, if you're in the old boys club, if you're on the in crowd, regardless if you're fit or not, you know, you'll be taken care of, basically. And everyone outside of our club is not taken yeah. care of, right? That's where you get the corporate cronies that apparently Trump has or the Chinese cronies that apparently Biden has. It's the same narrative every time. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle you think exists because they don't and they're so subjective. So 
Like, if you if you guys subscribe to the political system here in the United States of America, you are ignorant. You're ignorant. Sorry, but that's the fact. So the point is, is like from from you know this SJ standpoint where they're like, oh, you know, you're on the in crowd. I've seen many times, especially within the music industry, that you, for many decades, and it's only until recently where this is starting to not be a thing anymore, you had to be on the in crowd. You had to have Hollywood connections. You had to have connections to a label. You had to have the, the right kinds of connections to get to the teachers. You know, like even from a Hollywood standpoint, you have Denzel Washington. And a lot of people don't realize that Denzel Washington took acting classes every single day. Every day. You know, a lot of a lot of people don't know that about him. They just think he's, he's just natural talent. No, he worked hard, and like that's that's the difference. But you know, for decades or longer, you just it was extremely difficult to be the so-called breakout star or whatever. But nowadays, like you could just be Lindsey Sterling, you know, and be an amazing dancing violinist. Uh, who gets shot on on live television one time and then all of a sudden she has her video named crystallize which is the number one viewed uh, video on youtube for like four years straight for example uh and and now she's super famous and is able to and I, i've seen her live on multiple occasions it's been, it's been fantastic but the point is it's like do you see these worldviews, these competing worldviews of these temperaments, of these types, really inhibiting the accessibility of music when it comes to teaching young people or just anyone for that matter. And like, because it seems like everyone's forced to be career minded about music and it's not really presented in such a way where it's accessible as a hobby, even. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, what's your opinion? So, historically, this has really been the case a lot. Um, music, a lot, Western classical music especially has been a um, area where it was the rich. It was the rich white people who ended up doing all this. And then you had all those poor musicians who subsisted on, it was in the court system especially. Um, I forget. I think it was Mozart that it happened a lot with. He, he like totally bailed after his dad tried to use him as essentially his meal uh, ticket. Basically, yeah. Um, and then Mozart started just writing music because he had all the skills. So he left and went off and got a job in the court. So that's the court system. What, would you say that the court, like the former, the former court system, uh, how would you say that sort of fits into the uh, four temperament? I still maintain uh, it's oligarchical as well because yeah. the jury is supposed to be chosen from amongst your peers, but they're not your peers. It's what not that type of court. Oh, okay. And, uh, like. Uh, courtier system like uh think of oh yeah 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 so where does that where does that exist today in society is what you're asking no i'm talking about like historically how how that really um play as the four temperaments do you think that would it would still be oligarchy for sure i mean you you can i mean like especially 
like for example a lot of criticism that women use <clears throat> to claim that the patriarchy is just like you know causing a problem and never gave women access to anything and that's why shakespeare only had uh you know, male actors and whatnot. No, that's not true. You guys are watching Shakespeare in Love and taking that Hollywood spittle narrative about how, oh, women weren't allowed to be actors and actresses in those days. Okay, maybe there was a little bit of that going on, but then again, most women didn't even want to do that. They didn't even want to do that. Just like how most women didn't even want to smoke cigarettes or have nicotine or smoke tobacco until edward bernays brainwashed them into thinking that it was sexy to do so and for no other reason you know like like a lot of innovations out there that exist were actually made by men you know for women etc and women weren't the ones who actually made those innovations for themselves uh something a lot of people just don't get like for example the maxi pad that is uh that was invented by a man uh he literally used chicken blood between his legs to see if it would work you see what i'm saying and and that's uh that's an interesting story but you know a lot of people just assume that there's this huge gender divide or there was this huge gender divide but it really wasn't that it was more of like the, the mature feminine was so well preserved that when it came to performers and singers and whatnot being able to perform in crowds like yeah the courts did influence that heavily and yes you had to be of noble blood it had nothing to do with gender it had everything to do with are you a person who comes from a noble family to get access to that sort of thing and and that i think a lot of people just quickly forget about you know when it comes to how the history is but i mean hey you know we can believe hollywood all we want you know so i'm sure that's heavily influencing musical accessibility today but uh yeah i mean What's really inhibiting uh, musical uh, inaccessibility is the copyright system. Really? The copyright system? Interesting. I In, wouldn't have thought of like, that. Especially educational videos. Um, any use of songs, even if it's reproduced in order to analyze, uh, they, they copyright cra uh, claim everything, basically. Um, Adam, Adam Neely has had a few videos about this. Um, I'm, I'm even seeing, I think, Sony's copyright claiming, like, Earthbound videos, even. Dang. Uh, the, copy, the copyright system is a little broken. And it's really unfortunate to see. Um, yeah, this is why I recommend everyone read in the audience read the book uh, by Elizabeth Gilbert, the author of the book uh, Eat, Pray, Love, which is a very um, feminist, uh, hypergamous book that women like to read to use it as justification to potentially actually divorce their husbands in their late 30s. Like all, because now the statistic went from 70% to 80% of divorce is actually initiated by women nowadays. However, she wrote this other amazing book called Big Magic. And Big Magic, in my opinion, is the best written portrayal of extrovert intuition and how that works. And I think that that book literally is the solution 
to the copyright problem that you're just outlining uh, because <laughs> if you have an idea but you don't have you don't act on it then someone else is going to have that idea and that's just reality you have to realize that that idea is your responsibility you can choose to let go of that responsibility or you can choose to take that responsibility but the copyright system well, I, I agree yeah. it stifles all of that there's just no one of the main issues with the copyright system is really that it's inhibiting the the musical dialogue between different artists a lot because think about in rap music a lot and a lot of trap music and a lot of electronic there's a lot of quoting from other songs and so well that's still happening it's not happening as much in it like the, way back there's con uh, Contus Fermi, which were um, bass lines which were prescribed as the one bass line then you wrote on top of it uh, to music. So like thinking back to there then looking at how the musical dialogues have sort of changed now <clears throat> it's just really frustrating to see how the copyright system can really stifle a lot of creativity in the hopes of protecting um, the uh, interests of the people who own it, not necessarily the musicians all the time. Right. Because it's not always the musicians that own it. It's often big companies that just copyright. Well, luckily there's music labels out there like No Copyright Sound that really helps promote that artist to artist communication and i'm i'm heavily benefiting from that youtube channel myself and that music label because i think they really understand that and this is an example of how the affiliative is absolutely necessary within society to do that while i do maintain i have my pragmatic bias pragma pragmatism unchecked literally creates that copyright system you know mm -hmm. as a result and uh and it is an autocratic system, whereas you have people who band together like No Copyright Sound or the NCS YouTube channel. Uh, all the music there, you can use it as long as you just give credit to the artist and credit to the label and that you can do whatever you want with it. You know, that that's incredible. I like that at least we as human beings can still choose to be human regardless of what system is present. Mm -hmm. It's just... Yeah. Sometimes people think that they are forced to behave in the music industry in a certain way in order to get a certain result, which ultimately is money. The thing is, though, is that I think that's part of how they're conditioned in the school system. And, you know, you're in the school system with your education and whatnot. How many times have you taken classes or had professors where all of a sudden it's not about the art of the music anymore it's about how much money i may have to potentially make and being responsible to be able to make that money and it was just more money centric you know did you ever feel like you were kind Th of pushed in that thankfully, direction thankfully um at least at my school we haven't really had that sort of issue at least in music education specifically because when you go to school for music education, you kind of know you're not going to um, get paid a lot. <laughs> teachers don't get paid a lot <laughs> in general. Hence, 
a lot of teachers are entrepreneurs on the side and do side businesses. Um, yeah, like uh, Jason to, Hooper. To make up for that. Yeah. He, he's a music teacher, but he's setting up teachingorchestra.com in the near future. And he was a guest on this show a couple of months back, maybe about four or five months ago. And yeah, I, I, I can understand that. But at least there are people like yourself who have gone out of your way to really reach out to people and give them another opportunity where they can see music as an art or a hobby and not necessarily a career. And if they want to make it into a career one day, that's fine. It's all good. But at least there are teachers like you who are offering external alternative operate, uh, you know, offers yeah. and abilities instead of just someone going to a school and having to commit four years to something that may not actually make them money, which I maintain is another reason why music and singing is not as proliferate as it should be or prolific i guess mm -hmm. as it should be so I, i'm very happy that you being an intj have taken on the role of being a music instructor uh and getting over your expert sensing inferior insecurity and then just looking at the system itself the system behind music objectively and then mm -hmm. presenting it in such a way where your students can understand and grow from it even if they are for example an intj little girl <laughs> someone of your own type yeah. it's really hard for them to learn you know right yeah um i'm going to jump back to one of your previous questions because that, sure. that that reminded me um <clears throat> yeah so one of my students uh has been a little intj girl one of our friend's daughters and <clears throat> type has definitely been such a great asset in teaching her for example because what i've been able to teach it's it's like teaching myself as a child a little bit um <clears throat> she's very performance oriented at the moment all about dancing but I understand because I know her type where her limits may be. She may not be comfortable with necessarily getting up and dancing right away. She may not because music is such a huge like process, holistic process that dancing is a big, big part of it. <clears throat> and so really understanding where someone's limits are and where someone's strengths are. Like, for example, her strengths, she gets, she gets things like that conceptually, but they struggle to... <clears throat> failure to launch syndrome in a lot of ways to become comfortable enough to act like a silly little, little dancer. Can an INTJ become a good athlete? I don't know if that is... <laughs> yes, of course they can. Uh, they have some interesting questions this time. Well, uh, I think we're about out of time right now, Christian, but uh, yeah. thank you for being on the show and sharing your experiences uh, with us and the experiences of your students. Uh, 
you know, you being an INTJ, you being a music instructor and your life and career is all about music and performance and getting over your SE inferior and growing it into an aspirational to be able to do that and then help other people, including this INTJ little girl, become uh, aspirational herself. So with all that being said, if the audience of the CSJ community wanted to potentially hire you to be their music instructor, what would they have to do? Where would they have to go? Just They just have to send a quick email and I can get back to them. I will text you my email so we don't have to use Teams. Oh, gosh. <clears throat> or you could put it... Yeah, or you could put it in the... I mean, you could just tell me and I'll type it out in the... Uh, yeah. Chat. It's my name at gmail.com. There's two R's and two C's. Yes. Christian Sir two C's for Serechia. Yes. Okay. Serechia at gmail.com. Two R's and two C's. Alright, well it's in the live stream chat. Christian Serechia with two R's and two C's at gmail.com. So Anyway, folks, uh, thank you all for joining us tonight. This is just mostly a test run for our new technological <laughs> setup and having guests on the show. We're going to be doing many more of these in the near future. Uh, so uh, thanks uh, for coming, Christian, and uh, sharing your experience and your knowledge. Yeah, definitely. We'll have you again definitely in the near future. And uh, otherwise, folks, uh, thank you all for watching and probably see you about this time next week. Have a good night.